Thank you, Evie. So we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Face to Face with Jesus. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> Wellspring Kids, what we've been doing is looking at stories, <clears throat> excuse me, that, uh, that Jesus uh, had, conversations that he had with people in the Gospels. Um, some of the same stories actually that y'all have been studying. Uh, I've been asking what y'all are, what y'all are looking at and, and the stories that y'all have been studying in Wellspring Kids and some of the same ones that y'all are looking at, we've been looking at in here the last few weeks. And this morning, we come to Mark chapter 1, which is what Evie just read, Mark chapter 1. And uh, we're going to start in verse 16. When Jesus um, is first starting his ministry, he comes to a group of men, four men in particular, um, at least here at the very beginning, and he makes his agenda very clear to them. He, he makes his agenda um, uh, or his intentions uh, very clear from the very beginning. It's not, this is a fishing story, but it's not some bait and switch that Jesus does. He, he makes it abundantly clear what he expects from the very beginning. And as I mentioned, we're going to look at it from Mark's perspective, but what I want to do this morning is um, this, this particular story is in three of the, uh, of the Gospels, the, what we call the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and I want to take from some of those other stories because it gives us a little bit of a big, bigger or better picture. Um, it helps us understand what we're about to read a little bit more. And so I, I'm going to take from uh, this story in Matthew and Luke and Mark to set up where we're going. And then we're going to jump into the story right there in Mark chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 15. Here's what's going on. Jesus is just starting his ministry. And as was his custom, he would go to the, to the um, synagogue on Sabbath. And, and, and he would teach in the synagogue. Well, this one particular day, Jesus is in the synagogue teaching, and a man who lives nearby, um, his name's Simon, comes up and talks to, to, to Jesus and says, Jesus, my mother-in-law is, is, is ill. She has a fever, and it is not looking good. Jesus finishes what he's reading from Isaiah, actually, and he goes to the house, and he prays over her, and he casts out the fever, and it leaves. Fast forward a little bit. Jesus is standing beside the Sea of Galilee. Your, your, your Bible may say the Lake of Gennesaret. It's the same place. Jesus is standing by there, and he's preaching. And the crowds are getting bigger and bigger, and they're pressing against him. And here's what he's preaching. It's in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It says this. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. I'll just read it. It says, the time is fulfilled. In other words, to the Jewish audience, you've been waiting for a Messiah for a long time. The time has come. I am here, Jesus says. I'm the one you've been waiting for. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, the euangelion, the good news. Good news has come. The one you've been waiting for is here. Well, Jesus gets done preaching about 11 a.m. And he goes over to uh, these fishermen. He was borrowing one of their boats, in, in fact. He gets off the boat. He goes over to them and he says, 
hey, I want you to take your boat out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and I want you to cast your net. Well, um, Simon and, and Andrew, his brother, they've actually already been out fishing all the previous night. They, 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 they uh, were fishing overnight. That's when you normally fish, and they caught nothing, not one fish. I mean, it was a bad, frustrating night. They came off the lake, and all morning they've been mending their nets. In my mind's eye, when I read this, they are getting ready to head to bed. They've been up for a while. They're tired. They're just ready to get home. They're ready to have their, their nets mended. And Jesus comes over to them and says, hey, I want you to take your boat, go out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. I suppose Peter, or excuse me, Simon, his name's going to be changed to Peter, but Simon says something along the lines of, you're a carpenter. You don't know anything about fishing. Jesus says, no, I want you to go on out. Well, what's Simon going to say? I mean, he's already healed his mother-in-law. So Simon gets in the boat with Andrew, goes out to the middle of the Sea of Galilee. You may know how the story unfolds. They throw their net over the side of the boat, and they catch so many fish that the boat begins to sink. They call their partner, John. They say, John, get out here. There's so many. I mean, the fish are jumping into the boat. We need some help. John goes out there, grabs the other side of the net, starts pulling the net into his boat. The fish start jumping into his boat as well, so much so that that boat starts to sink. They come back. They get back very, very precariously, very in a, in a tough situation. They get back to the edge of the Sea of Galilee with their boats deep into the water, filled up with fish. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 16. Here's what Jesus says. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, we know what was going on. He saw Simon and Andrew, the, butter, the, uh, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. And for those who are a little bit slow, um, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. Jesus is not simply inviting them to listen to a moral speaker. He's not, he's not asking them to, to, um, to uh, uh, change their life or, 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 or um, uh, listen to a good teacher. He is actually asking them to change everything about the priorities of their life. This is altogether different than just accept me as your savior. Invite me into your heart or in include me as a good friend. I mean, he's asking them to do something drastic. This first command's crazy enough, but the second command must have had their head spinning. Because he says, come and follow me, and if you'll follow me, I'll make you into something. I'll make you into something that you aren't already. Now, if, if Jesus said this to me, I would think that he would say, I I'll make you a better person. I'll make you a better dad. I'll make you a better father. I'll make you a more moral person. I'll make you smarter. I mean, he, he seems to know a lot. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, come and follow me, and I'll make you in to a fisher of men. Look at verse 17. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. There is no doubt in my mind that these four men these two initially and then the ones that come after had no idea what Jesus was talking about. There is no doubt in my mind that they were confused about this, that they didn't understand it. But look at how they respond. Even though they must have been confused, even though the, there must have been limited understanding, 
Look at how they respond. Immediately, they left their nets. I mean, instant, absolute obedience and followed him. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer notes that there is no fanfare when these men are called. No one applauds them. No one is down at the front of the, of the worship service to shake their hand. No one holds a parade for them. They're simply dragged out of relative security into what is seemingly insecure, at least by human standards. He goes on. They're following this brand new young, as yet unheard of teacher. They're not even entirely fully aware of who this man is. But they see him and they conclude there must be some authority unlike anything we've seen before. We're going to follow him, we're going to do it immediately, and we're going to see what happens. Verse 19, going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, for they were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and followed him. So they, it just said that they left two things. They left their dad and they left their boat. Why in the world would, would the writer Mark identify these two particular things that, uh, that these men left? Why, why would he point out that they left their boat and they left their father? Here's why I think. In the first century when this was written, when Jesus walked the earth, um, your identity was, was um, wound up or, or all uh, encircled by your family. So you worked hard, you were moral, you were good because you wanted your family's name to, 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 to uh, be good. You wanted your family's name to be lifted up in the community. You wanted to give your family a good name. And so you did all the right things for your family. You worked hard, you had your, your business, all of those sorts of things for your family. That's where your identity was, was, um, was found. In our culture, in the 21st century culture, your um, identity is wrapped up in your job. That's why we go to school. That's why we work hard. That's why we do the things that we do. So in our culture, your identity is wrapped up in your job. And this is the way that it's been for almost every culture, therefore, every person that has walked the globe, either your your um, identity is wrapped up in your family or your identity is wrapped up in your job, in your profession. And what Mark is pointing out here, what Jesus is calling these men to and as a result calling us to, is that following him means that everything else has to look like abandonment compared to knowing him. Wherever you find your identity, Whatever it's wrapped up in, that takes a, 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 a second place, a, a, a distant backseat to knowing and following Christ. That's what Jesus is saying here. And that's why the writers point out these two important things. I have to come before your job. I have to come before your family. I have to come before everything else. In fact, the New Testament goes on to say that everything has to look like hate compared to loving Christ. That's the, di the, the difference between knowing Christ and following everything else. And that's what Jesus is saying here. 
The call to follow is a radical call. Now, for most of us in here this morning, um, the call to follow Jesus is not going to be as dramatic as what we just read. Because remember, they, they had these businesses, but they abandoned it all to follow Jesus for the next three years. And so for most of us, it's not going to look like leaving your family behind, although it may be for some. For most of us, it's not going to be leaving a job behind, although it may be for some. But for the the majority of us in this room, it's not going to be that radical of a call. But here is what I do know, based on my own experience and those that I've talked to. There are going to be times in life where your allegiance is going to be tested. Your allegiance is going to be tested. And here's what Jesus is saying this morning. Your allegiance must be for me. It must be for me. Everything else must pale in comparison to your allegiance towards me. And and here's how we know that. If we fast forward to the end of Jesus' ministry, in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, here's what it says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end, of the age. So Jesus begins his ministry with come and follow me. And then he ends his ministry with go and make disciples. He bookends his ministry with his command to go. Uh, He he bookends his ministry with this this, um, command to, to make your ultimate allegiance towards me. And here's the amazing thing that happens when you read the Gospels. It's not only these four men that begin fishing for men and making disciples. But there are eight, or excuse me, uh, seven, and then a later, uh, an eighth is added, who do the exact same thing. And not just them. When you read the Gospels, there was a young man by the name of Zacchaeus, whom we've studied a couple weeks ago. Lavishly giving back what he had taken from people, he became a fisher of men. There was a blind man from birth, who becomes a fisher of men when he declares to the religious leaders, look, all I know is that I was blind, I met this man named Jesus, and now I see. He became a fisher of men. There was a lady, she was married five times, living with a guy who was not her husband, when she comes in contact with this man named Jesus, and she becomes a fisher of men in her community. And then Jesus' half-brother, James, I say this often, what would it take for your sibling to prove to you that they were the savior of the world? That's exactly what happened in Jesus' house. Jesus' half-brother James becomes a leader of the New Testament church, gives his life up for this cause that he believes his brother, his half-brother, is the savior of the world. He becomes a fisher of men. God uses these men and women in the first century who take the call to fish for men seriously. And they take their circles of influence and they fish for men. And then those people in that circle of influence take this call seriously to be fishers of men, to make disciples. And and they do it in their circles of influence. And then the next generation takes the the call to be fishers of men seriously. And in their circles of influence, they make disciples. And on and on and on it goes. So that here we are, 
2,000 years later, half a world away, worshiping a Jewish carpenter. Because every generation took serious the command to make disciples, to make fishers of men. And so this morning, that's what this service has been all about. We want to take this command serious. We, 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 want, we want to make disciples. We want to fish for men. We want people in our church. We want kids in our church. We want people that are outside of faith in our church to know that we're serious about this. Because we have been commanded by the Savior of the world to make disciples, both here in southwest Missouri and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus calls these men at the very beginning of his ministry to follow me. And he was going to turn them into something that they weren't already. He was going to turn them into fishers of men. And the command is the same today for you and for me. We have been called to follow Jesus so that everything else in our lives looks, looks like hate in comparison. And as we follow him, as we study him, as we look at his word, he's going to mold us, he's going to make us in to fishers of men. And here's the amazing thing that happens when we do that, when we allow the Holy Spirit to do, to do that. He takes the seemingly mundane of life and he uses it for eternal value. So whenever you're, you're taking this command serious to make fishers of men, all of a sudden, a, 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 a luncheon with a coworker has eternal significance. Putting your kids to bed at night, the mundane of life suddenly takes on an eternal significance. Inviting neighbors over for a hamburger suddenly has eternal significance when we take this command seriously to make fishers of men. And so that's the invitation this morning. Starting with our own houses, our own kids, leveraging our influence in our workplace, leveraging our influence in our community, in our neighborhoods. If you know Christ, the call is the same that it's been for 2,000 years. Follow me. Know me. And as you are, are molded a little bit more into my image every day, you will be transformed into a fisher of men. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And I pray that we would take this command serious. That, that we would allow you, through the power of your spirit, to, to mold us, to make us into your image. That we would follow you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And as we follow you, we, we see that you're doing a work in our hearts. You're doing a work in our lives that is molding us into a fisher of men. That we're looking for opportunities in the seemingly mundane of life, for you to transform into eternal significance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.